Thank you, you two. God loves the nations. And I don't know about you guys, but when you think about Jesus Christ, when you think about God as, as Lord in the Son, when you think about the fact that Australia belongs to Jesus, Papua New Guinea belongs to Jesus, China belongs to Jesus, every nation of the world, as you see, and I'm going to have to do this without any notes, or this is going to be flying without a blindfold, but we'll go by faith. And uh, Ryan and, and uh, Dave will pick up back there. But, but the Lord loves the nations, and the nations belong to him. And the command has always been uh, to get the redemptive message to all the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so when you begin to think about the nations, uh, you go back into Genesis, in Genesis 1, when you start to hear the, the purposes that God has in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, when God made man in his image, he wanted all the nations to bear that same image of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit among the peoples of the nations. And it says in one twenty-eight, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that on the surface of the earth and every tree which has yielded its seed shall be food for you. Uh, that, was 20, that was 28. Sorry, that was 29. It says, my fault. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God provides all those blessings. And the idea here is that God blesses first, and then he gives the command. He doesn't give the command and bless his work. He blesses his work, and then it becomes fruitful and it multiplies. And that idea of multiplication is, is picked up in the whole concept of marriage and the union between Adam and Eve, when Adam would say, this is woman, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We were made to be one, one, the mystery of oneness together. And that mystery of marriage simply reflects the mystery of the union with Christ that we have with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But that union was to be an invitation for the whole world. And so when Jesus comes... Uh, because of the prophecies to Adam and the covenant is given to Abraham. And you go back into Abraham, the story in Genesis 12. Abraham gets the first promise. Uh, the Lord, in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country. Go, go from your country. Leave your homestead and go to the, from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. Why? Because I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you. There's the blessing again. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, the Iranians, the Iraqis, the Argentinians, all the families that you know, those that were in Florida, those who passed away, and those they're all under God's sovereign care. 
and you will, the earth through these blessings, you will be blessed. Well, all the way through the Old Testament, this heartbeat of missions, you'll pick up from God the Father, wanting to pursue his people. And you come through to the point where Jesus picks up this theme and he says to his disciples, and he picks these 12 men. And if you, you can't see the picture, well, you can't see the picture. Uh, look at who he chose. He didn't choose rabbis. He didn't choose the scholars. He didn't choose the people who were the superstars. He did not go to the rabbinical university to pick out the leaders. He's not interested in institutions or any party or any kind of organization. From the get-go, Jesus is saying there's one message, is that you and I are in this together. And it's through the relational connection with these 12 friends he called disciples. And he spent his time selectively investing in these men so that they would be the very uh, means by which the gospel would reach the nations. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to have the whole redemptive purposes rest on these 12 guys, given the fact, thank you, you're a miracle worker. <laughs> uh, if I don't mess it up here. And so... Uh, the, the idea that Jesus would entrust the gospel to these men who were men, fallen men, but they were always part of the, of the intent that God was going to always use face-to-face -face encounters. That face-to-face, -face, that oneness, that relationship. But remember those five words that they were not going to be selectively chosen as the elite or the privileged because Jesus would say those five words in John 10, 16, and other sheep have I. I have other sheep. You're not the focus. You're not the end. You're a means by which that image is going to perpetuate all the way throughout the nations. And the goal that God wanted you and me and everyone who follows him is this one, is that you would have that same marriage union with Christ and that your union, your communion, your intimacy, your experience would be defined by the Lord's imprint by the Lord's influence, by the Lord's rule, by the Holy Spirit coming into your heart and mind. Not only just what you think, not only just what you believe, because it's more than what you think and it's more than what you believe. It's about Jesus looking at you eyeball to eyeball and saying, this one is mine. You're mine. I've called you. You didn't choose me. I've worked on your behalf before you even were born. I've called you to myself. I want you to know me. And so Christ would say, you once were not my sheep, but now you are my sheep. But this idea that Paul and others would strive to get across to all the believers throughout all time, it is the message of the gospel that God has chosen to make himself known. 
God has chosen to make himself known personally to you and to me. And among the Gentiles, there's the nation. But notice that next phrase, the glorious riches that are his now becomes yours because you're one in Christ. This is a mystery. And the mystery that Paul doesn't explain very well, except it's going to go through all the nations, is the mystery, it is Christ in you. Christ in you. And that's the message that he wants to get to know, all the nations to know. But my question to you is this. How is God going to make known this mystery of the riches of his grace among the Gentiles? How is he going to do that? Do you know? Well, it's given in the next verse, but this is the thing that we want to pick up from Paul, is that what Paul did is what we can do. And what Paul understood is what we need to understand. And it is a mystery that requires some input, but the mystery is this. The same way Paul worked among the Thessalonians, the Philippians, and the Colossians is the same way the Holy Spirit wants you and I to move among our colleagues, among our neighbors. It's Christ in you, no doubt. But can you communicate that to another person? And here's the thing that Paul would say, and it's him, it's him that we proclaim. We talk about the Lord. We talk about Christ Jesus. Not in an abstract way, not in a theological, philosophical way. We talk about him as a friend, as a Savior, and as a Lord. But it says here in 28 in Colossians, we admonish every man, urging, appealing, inviting, making people remember, remind them. We, we, we bring responsibility. We say, we bring it up, we initiate, we talk about Christ, we admonish every man, and then we teach every man, every woman, every creature with all wisdom, point two, that there's something about Christ that the fool doesn't know, and we bring that wisdom. We help people enlarge their understanding of who God is, but you bring wisdom of this mystery that they don't have. And the third one is that we might present everyone mature, complete, perfect, but that's the goal. And the goal is the fact that the Holy Spirit wants you to have that oneness with Christ, that maturity in Christ, that rest in Christ, so that your whole experience of life on earth would be you say, I belong to this shepherd. And the shepherds say, this one belongs to me. And I have other sheep, I can tell the same thing, because your story is his story incarnate in your life. And so imagine as the disciples, those 12 went all the way through Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Samaria. Paul and Silas and Timothy move out with the same message, the same Lord leading them into all the nations, making disciples. Now, whatever that, whatever that word comes to mind, what stereotype it is, it means this, is I want you to be learners, lifelong learners, because this 
mystery will take a long time to know what grace is all about. And so when Paul would go into a pagan city like Thessalonica, and he would preach in this forum. You can go over there and you can see this today. He preached in this amphitheater. But beyond the preaching, he would spend time at a local coffee shop or spend time drinking juice, but he would spend time face-to-face, as would Silas and Timothy. And so we would talk about worship. He would talk about what you're doing with your life because he understood what Fulton Sheen would say. If you do not worship God, you worship something. And nine times out of ten, it will be yourself. Right? And I say it this way, if God isn't meeting your deepest needs, something else is. And that is the God that you rely on. If God isn't meeting your deepest needs as a man or a woman, then meeting your deepest needs becomes your God. See, you were built to be dependent. But in our fallenness, we forget that he is the one that's worthy. He is the one that's in control. He is the one that is gracious. And and my life is only found in that relationship with him. And therefore, as you understand, the means and and the message is all wrapped up in this thing called a relational discipleship. That when you go to Christ, Christ meets you and you come to Christ. And that when you meet Christ and the glory of Christ shines in your heart, and the grace is there, and the resources are there, and that you, you understand what it means to be in Christ, in Him, justified, not because of your performance, but because you were justified by the mere association. You have a friend in Christ. He's the one that leads you. He's the one that saves you. And standing with Him, in Him, for Him, is life in its fullness. And when we forget that, when we forget to learn about that, we forget to image and reflect the God we worship. But Paul would go on to say to the Thessalonians, he said, we were well pleased to give to you this information about the gospel. It's a message. You want to hear about the message, how to get saved, how to grow in Christ? Well, here's five steps. Here's six. Here's, th- here's some books you can read. We, we can give things, but the problem is it didn't fit Paul's model. And Paul says, we were well pleased. We were delighted, happy to give to you the message of the grace of God because there's no other way you're going to have hope in this life if you think that the hope in this life is just to get through this life. But the one that cares about you, loves you, pursues you, even when you don't love or care or pursue him. He's faithful when we're not. He's gracious when we're not. He's strong when we're not. You want to know Christ, and you get to know Christ. Because there's the mystery that he is not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on me. The wonder of this Lord that we worship and to work with people. And here's your principle. I'm going to summarize it in a simple little way. And it's a $1,000 principle. So I'll take, take collection at the end. There's one thing that Jesus did with his men 
that I would ask you to do with your friends is called the with him principle. Jesus spent time with them personally, not just to solve problems, not just to explain new theological insights or or to correct a, a foolish understanding. He just wanted to be with them. And being with him was the whole ministry of relationship. So if you understand discipleship as being involved, engaged in a conversation on an ongoing daily basis with Christ. Paul would say it in a couple of ways in the book of Romans. This is an interesting interesting spinoff, but when he would talk about in Romans 16, greeting the church in Rome, he says, greet Trephena and greet Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. What is that work in the Lord? What is the Lord doing with people when they meet? It's to get people growing in understanding that grace that's theirs in Christ, but incarnated in your story, in your life, it's going to come through you And if there's no message coming through you, if there's no grace coming through you, if there's no life coming through you, what you say to other people is just information. But Jesus doesn't want you just to have information. And if you have information and a head knowledge about the Christian doctrine and the Christian life, but you're not in a relationship with Christ, you're not growing in love and you're not reflecting the grace that you need to as a man or a woman. And the Lord knows that. So that's why he says, I want you to be a disciple. I want you to learn from me. So when Christ gets involved with us, he's not there just drinking tea and having a good time. He's going to really engage you to say, you know, you might want to think about this. And I want to teach you. I want to admonish you. I want to to bring wisdom to you. This is the work of God. When you are learning from him and the Spirit, then you should have something to say. And if you don't have something to say, and if you're empty because you've been out of fellowship with Christ, then it's time to get back to that principle with him. And Paul would say this, that over and over again, and in, in this you... Um, uh, in First in Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, in Christ, your labor is not in vain. Well, what does that mean? It means when you spend time with people, other sheep who don't know Christ, and you bring wisdom through your own life, you become the means by which Paul would say, you have become dear to us. And those that you care about, you pass on that message of the good news that no matter what circumstance you go through, God is with you in that. And if you can demonstrate grace as you deal with cancer, grace as you deal with the end of life, grace as you deal with conflict in marriage, grace as you deal with the frustrations of parenting, grace as you deal with conflict in your own self, with your fears. When you are learning those things, then you have a testimony. And that's your story 
of how God is working in your life, and that's what you pass on to the nations. And nations always have a name. Timothy, Barbara, Janet, Scott, Bob, Jim. Guys, this week I met, I thought, no one's helped them mature. They're stuck. And because they're stuck, they're not growing, they're not learning. Therefore, Paul would say to the Thessalonians, I came as a father, I came as a mother, urging you, encouraging you, because I want you to grow in Christ. So much so that when you grow, there's glory. And that mystery of glory, that mystery of of hope, if that's evident, it's going to flow from your life. Well, let me leave you with that with him principle. So here's the question. Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time listening, learning, growing? Do you have something that you really want to say because you know the Spirit of God is saying, Jerry, I want to touch your faith. Jerry, I want to deal with this selfishness. Jerry, I want to deal with this pride. Jerry, I want to deal with... you want. So now it's me and Jesus. You will never see that (laughs) because it's done in a closet in a Tuesday morning uh, over devotional time. But that's the way we grow in Christ, spending time listening. If you're not spending time with him, are you reading your scripture? Are you pursuing him in prayer? Are you identifying with Christ? Or are you just kind of along for the ride, taking it for granted. Let me tell you, the Lord loves you so much, he's not going to let you get away with that. (laughs) And he wants you to know more about what it means to be in him. Well, as we move through Thessalonians, we're going to come to this point that the first three chapters of Thessalonians were about this relationship that Paul has with them. And then he's going to move into a big topic, which will come up in a, next month, is about the hope that's ours in Christ. But you, you can't scoot over here before you get this foundation. And that's what they started with. So, so as I go back, as, as we begin thinking about what Jesus would do uh, at the beginning, he's concerned about the nations. And that nation has a name. It's your friend. I have other sheep. And this is why we are called to go to all the nations and disciple them. So as we continue to do so this summer, if God gives you an opportunity to identify with Christ, share your story and let God use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you really do know more than we do what this friendship, this intimacy, what you really desire for us to draw close and rest and cast our cares on you. Father, we would confess to you we don't know you that well. But we would give you permission by the Holy Spirit to really work in our lives. And Father, if there's one here that doesn't know Christ and has questions, would you open their eyes and let them see the gospel that you are the savior of the whole world and now lord 
we would turn ourselves over to you because you are worthy and you are everything we need and everything we love. And so it's to you we give the glory, to you we give the thanks and the praises, and to you we give ourselves. We thank you in this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.